If you're like me and you're a fan of Kelly Reichert, you know that she's a director. But did you know that she's an editor too? And when she's working on the pacing of a scene, like one from Certain Women with Laura Dern and Jared Harris, and she's trying to get it just so, she sometimes shows it to friends. When I was showing the rough cuts to friends, sometimes I'd have a screening for three of my guy friends, and they came in and they're like, oh, you know, oh, she's such a bitch. And what happened when she showed that same scene to female friends? You're about to find out. This is a podcast that's buzzed about movies. This is The Drunk Projectionist. I'm Todd Melby. In my journalism career, I've covered all kinds of news. Everything from bridge collapses, to plane crashes, to murder trials, to oil booms. When I'm not working, I love escaping from all that, and I go to the movies. At their best, movies are magical places where dreams come alive, sometimes in vivid colors, like an Omadovar movie, and sometimes in dark shadows. Of course, there's a lot of crap too, but that's not what this podcast is all about. This podcast is about the moments that make movies sparkle, the moments that make brilliant movies timeless, in conversations with directors, actors, cinematographers, and other pros, we'll reveal how those moments were created. And in some episodes, we'll dive into movie culture. We begin with Kelly Reichert. Oh, wow. I'm a filmmaker, sober, um, and, uh, and, uh, and I teach uh, at Bard College. Yeah. Stay tuned. The Drunk Projectionist is next. Kelly Reichert's films are full of pregnant pauses and extended silences. In fact, her movies often lack music soundtracks. They're shot in the American West and filled with open skies and people living on the margins. Most of Reichert's films center on the lives of women. In this episode, we focus on Wendy and Lucy from 2008 and Certain Women from 2016. Wendy and Lucy was based on a work of fiction by writer John Raymond. That film starred Michelle Williams and the director's dog, Lucy. It's the story of an itinerant young woman with pretty much only three things to her name. A beater car, a winsome dog, and a notebook which she uses to carefully tally how little cash she has. The same might be said of Reichert. An early film of hers cost just $100,000 to make. Wendy and Lucy cost $300,000. She saves money on shoots by using small crews, shooting outdoors whenever possible, and having spare or non-existent soundtracks. A quick note about Certain Women. It's her most recent film. It centers on the intersecting lives of four Montana women, portrayed by Kristen Stewart, Laura Dern, Lily Gladstone, and again, Michelle Williams. In the interview, Reichert also makes reference to Meek's Cutoff, her 2010 Western about a group of settlers painstakingly crossing the Oregon desert. Let's, let's talk about your movies. All right. Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> maybe we could talk about a couple of specific scenes. We'll start with Wendy and Lucy, scenes that okay. maybe... maybe let's test my memory. <laughs> that you particularly like when you were done or that you think were pivotal. Mm. 
things that I liked. I was happy with the sound design in that film. And that was the first time I sort of started working with using sounds out, you know, that sort of would work as score, but without being actually music. Uh, music. In that case, uh, the film was based on the John story was called Train Choir, and so and the uh, script was called Wendy and Lucy, and the film was called Wendy and Lucy. But uh, I did use the idea of the train uh, choir at, for the sound design, and used trains kind of in place of where uh, there would have otherwise been sc- score. Come on back, girl. Oh, where'd you go? And for, for somebody who hasn't seen the movie, the, the, the film starts with uh, a rail yard. Oh, that's right. And that's true. Oh, yeah. That's and true. And, and Certain Women starts with a train. Ah, see where you're going now. Yeah. Okay. Uh, one trick pony. <laughs> I get it. Um, and I have to say, in both of those films, the new film and in Wendy Lucy, uh, working with Leslie Schatz, uh, the a sound mixer who also mixes mix, mixes films for uh, Gus Van Zandt and mixed Paranoid Park. Uh, he was the sound designer on those films. And uh, we stole uh, train sounds from Gus's film on that were uh, Paranoid Park trains for both those movies. So, yeah. There's another money-saving tip. <laughs> so, so- Steal sounds from other filmmakers. <laughs> And so tell me more about the sound design for Wendy and Lucy with trains. What you just it it did take place near the tracks and so you were just it thinking It did. That, there's trains everywhere. Well, really it, almost anywhere you are if you start to listen there's trains. I rarely stay anywhere that I don't eventually hear a train. But yeah, so recording uh, trains is kind of difficult actually. And why? Well, they come and they go, you know, they come right at you and they're so loud. And then they, yeah, to get a good train sound is, is, is a, you have a good sound recordist when you capture a good train sound. Trains are a musical, and you and you can use it, you know, for an idea when you're playing with distance. Uh, and certain women, some of the women, live in uh, the Laura Dern story takes place right downtown, and then there's another story with Michelle Williams that happens a little more outside of town, and then way out of town is the Lily Gladstone, Kristen Stewart story, and that, uh, and so the trains get further away and kind of remind you where you are or aren't. And so, yeah, and they can be, uh, you know, yeah, you can sort of play with them uh, in a lot of different ways. Hey, is this an insane thing to be doing? How are you doing that here, Tommy? Uh, I love the sound of a train. I find nothing more comforting than uh, when I was writing Wendy and Lucy, I was uh, staying in North Carolina in a friend's garage apartment. And the people that lived nearby were friends with uh, 
a train conductor. And when he would go by the area, he would do a special uh, song on the train, especially for his friends that near, live near the train track <laughs> that I could hear. And so, uh, which I found out about because I was like, wow, your train sounds are unbelievable. And then someone hit me to that. That was actually a special. Hello. The train people don't like you near the tracks. That's what I've found. Yes. Like we've been yes. run off quite a lot by the train people, uh, especially the um, the freight trains. They don't keep a schedule and they don't want you to know what time the trains are running on purpose. And so there's a day or two on if you on each of these films where there's train shots. In Wendy and Lucy, we were trying to get that last shot of Michelle on the train. Like every at the end of each day, we'd go down to the train and try to get her on a moving train. And it happened on the last day. It was really down to it. And we had decided, well, we'll do the shot and the train's just not going to be moving. And so we got her on the train and we got the camera on the train. This is all illegal. You're not allowed to be on the train. And then the train started moving. And so then we hopped off the train, set up the camera, and filmed her jumping on the train. I mean, train shooting and watching for trains is always like that. Is there symbolism with trains in you? Mm, I don't know. Uh, just that they're, uh, usually the characters are stuck somewhere and there's all these trains passing in and out and on the move. And they're... Um, either, you know, emotionally stuck or physically stuck uh, and uh, wherever they are. And so I guess the sound of uh, trains coming and going has some kind of uh, some kind of meaning to it. Hey, uh, have you seen my dog? Not since I saw you. Nope. Is that fucking garage ever open? Most days, yep. Is there a pound around here? There's gotta be a pound close by, huh? Not too far. You all right, honey? All right, and then natural light. I wanted to talk to you about filming in natural light. I mean, there are beautiful and scary scenes in Wendy and Lucy with, that are illuminated by the fire. Yes, when at one of those early scenes in the movie where she comes across, right? You know, with comes the across the people at the punk fire. Kids, yeah, yeah. And then there's the scene where she's sleeping outdoors on the on the the cardboard, right? And there's this guy that happens upon her, and, and there's a train right down below. There is a train right down below. Ah, in Wendy and Lucy, we didn't have any lights until that nighttime scene, and we had one light, and it did not work that well. It was just took us forever to set up that one light. I'll just get mad if I think about it. But uh, um, but we were using available light for the rest of the film. Uh, and then in Meek's cutoff, you know, the whole idea was that there would be this insanely bright days as it is in the high desert. And the sound of the uh, wagon wheel and all the sound of the clunkety-clunk of its 1845 picture and they're walking with oxen across the country carrying their carriages it just it's very noisy everything's jingle jangling on the uh and so um and then night would fall and as bright as the day is the night is just pitch black because there's no lights anywhere 
and you can actually still find that in Oregon. You can go out there and you're not, there's no light pollution from anywhere. It's actually the most amazing amount of stars you ever saw in your life. And then it would fall to dead silence. Why don't we talk more about a specific scene from certain women? Sure. Like the few scenes with Laura Dern and Jared Jared Harris. Yeah. So Laura Dern is a lawyer in Livingston, Montana, and, and Jared right. is her client who's got a he- head injury. Right. And she's told them that because he had, you know, signed or cashed a check from the company that he can't go yeah, ahead he gets and sue hurt, the Right. He gets hurt yeah. on the job and he takes a, a quick settlement because he's in need of money. And so he's trying to file a tort claim, but he doesn't really he can't. He didn't realize that he was uh, sort of signing all his options away when he took the sort of first money, which he needed just for his mortgage, whatever. So he's quite uh, disgruntled, um, as he should be. Uh, But um, yeah, so that's her. um, Yeah, that's sort of her crossed bear in the film. (laughs) Friday at noon. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Good work. So now we can prepare. No, 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 no. We don't need to prepare. We just get there and explain your situation, and that's it. Mr. Fuller, I don't want you to get your hopes up. He's going to tell you the same stuff I've been telling you. I just, I I want you to hear it from somebody else. You want to get a coffee? You know, so we can strategize. I have court. The dream, I guess, is that, you know, people could have a different perspective on the scene because maybe they relate to one character's position more than another character's position. You know, when I was showing the rough cuts to friends, sometimes I'd have a screening for, uh, you know, I had a screen just by chance for three uh, of my guy friends and they came in and they're like, oh, you know, oh, she's such a bitch. And, uh, And then, you know, you have a screening for your female friends and they're like oh he's so exhausting (laughs) (laughs) and so you know uh I guess it's all how so um so I didn't have a particular agenda for the scene I I find them both of their situations relatable to me but uh Jared Harris is playing you know he's a white man in his 50s and he has somehow gotten to that point in his life and not realize that the system is not going to always work for you. And he is just heartbroken by it and takes it really personally, and he just kind of can't believe it. As where his lawyer, uh, played by Laura Dern, probably found out in college that the system (laughs) isn't going to always, you know, you just figure it out at a much younger age if you're um, any sort of uh, minority. And so... Um, not that she doesn't have empathy for him. He does have a real problem, but she's also sort of like, uh, you know, yeah, get over it. Uh, a little bit, you know, not exactly. Um, uh, she, her point of view kind of changes over a course of time because at first she's just a little shut down and self-preserving of her own space. I wish my wife would roll over on the highway. Oh my God, I swear I will leave you right here. The only thing left to do is get a machine gun and kill everyone. No. No. You're going to have to get out. All right. Uh, uh, out. No. You can't say those things to me. I'll, 
I, 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 not another word. I'll, you can't talk like that. Never mind. I'll be quiet. The thing is, when you're making a film, you're working really hard uh, to, uh, or my way at it, is to not be filling in all the blanks and to just sort of keep opening the door to questions, hopefully, you know, just that things could be interpreted differently. And then when you're putting a film out, your job is to go around and sort of say in a capsule what your movie is and what it's all about and define it in a way that you've kind of worked hard to not define while you're making it. So it's always a little bit of a trick there. Yeah, because your your movies are full of space and for people to think, I think. Or, yeah, or just to sit inside it a little bit, I guess. Um, but there's actually more plot in this movie than some of... It's kind of plotty, right? A little bit. <laughs> it uh, is, I mean, because... like people keep saying it's not plotty, but I'm like, come on, this is, is like as plotty as I can get. What? <laughs> as I was watching it this morning on my computer, which I hate to do, like who knows oh, yeah. that like, had I decided to... Like I love going to the movies, especially at a place, not at my computer. But yet, don't watch it on your computer. I had to because yeah, I, yeah, I, I wanted to be able yeah, to yeah. ask yeah, you some, right, some right, questions. Right, 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 right. But I'll see it tonight. Yeah, you'll see it tonight. Right. Um, but, but anyway, I didn't want to get my second cup of coffee because I wanted to find out what happened between uh, Lily Gladstone and Kristen Stewart because I was, yeah. I was, it was that yeah. body, which was a good thing. Yeah. This is a heavy, <laughs> heavy plot. Heavy plot. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's some story going on there. What's your fascination with the American West? Um, it's funny. I'm always asked that, and it, I, it, I guess it's maybe I don't think of it as a. I mean, um, I don't. It's not. I don't know what it is. Uh, I mean, it's just like anything. Uh, I guess it's more practical. You know, I like to have a project and I like to wake up and work on something and I want to go away from where I live to make something. And I, well, at first I started going out to Oregon because my pal Todd Haynes had moved out there. And so I sort of followed him out there and then I met Jonathan Raymond. And John, uh, I, I made the next four films based on uh, his stories. And so, and they were all set out there. And so then I started this routine. I teach at Bard and I drive cross country and I go out to Oregon. And so I'm passing through. And, and when you're just driving cross country, like the East stinks, you know, you just like, I mean, you just can't wait till you get to at least South Dakota and it opens up. You're like, ah. Yeah, I always, I, yeah. As, a, as a person from Western yeah. North Dakota, I say that the West begins at the Missouri River. Yeah. So, like, if you're going through North Dakota, you know, Bismarck is basically is Eastern North Dakota and sort of Minnesota ish. Whereas, you know, the real North Dakota, from my point yeah. of view, starts Mandan and further west. I stopped going North Dakota route when the fracking kicked in because there's no place to stay and the truck traffic was so heavy. So I dropped down to the South Dakota route. You can go back. The boom is kind of booming. Yeah, I I think I will try to go back. Just, well, now my dog died, so I don't need to drive all the time. And I've done 20 trips since Old Joy, since 2005. And I'm kind of burnt out on it, to be honest. Um, Though there's always some point where I kind of dread the drive and then I get to that point where the road you 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 go through Chicago traffic and then eventually like the road splits off and and when it opens up and you're driving through 
Wyoming and or Colorado or Montana, you know why you're on the drive. The drive makes sense. And you go, oh, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm away from everything. I'm in my and coming back, you know, even I love driving through Kansas like I like Kansas. But when you leave Kansas, you are, uh, you know, it begins. It's Missouri you hit next, right? Something like that, right? You're in the sort of big box if you're on the highway, if you're on the interstate, I mean, you can go out of your way for sure. But um, but anyway, I forgot what we were talking about. Oh, the pull to the West. Well, when I'm going to the West, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's easier than it's, you know, I, I want to stop saying good things about the West because it's so full of people now, especially um, <laughs> Portland's become completely unaffordable since I started going there. I, you can't even like rent a place. It's so outrageous. Um, so I want to say that it stinks out there and that it should be avoided. And that everyone <laughs> right. should. Yeah, I'm always afraid yeah. that if I tell somebody about my secret place in South yeah. Dakota, that people will go there. Where is it? Come on. <laughs> It I is. have a favorite Best Western in, it's just a motel, an old Best Western in uh, in South Dakota. Ah, well, we'll have to compare notes after yeah. microphone, or yeah, we could yeah. do it right now. Yeah, so yeah. Is, is yours on Highway 12, or? No, uh, it's right off 90, but it's just, there's nothing around it at all, and it's just flat, old motel, so you can kind of sit on the side of the highway. Oh, night. wow. But you better have a cooler, because there's nothing around there. So it's, it's before or after Rapid City? It's... Oh, I can't remember. It's after. It, it's at Sundance. No, so it's before. It's like right on the state line. It's at Sundance, so it's before. Sweet. But you, um, but then if you're heading west, if I'm just like gunning it and I'm just trying to get there, then I, uh, yeah, there's a, I mean, if I in New York City, I don't go to a Starbucks. But when you're on the road in the middle of nowhere, you like live for a Starbucks. You, there's a Starbucks once you head west the next town. So you can get out <laughs> early and simply... And it's not some big corporate hotel. It's kind of a, it's a one-story old-style motel, and they take dogs, and then you can get a cup of coffee in the morning. Wow, that sounds Pretty great. good, right? That, does, that sounds yeah. great. My place is in Riva, South Dakota. Oh. Yeah. It's, uh, Where's that? It's, it's west, uh, west near the North Dakota border. Oh, so you're for, that's, that's closer to 94. Yeah, it's kind of between yeah. 90 and 94. It's, I see. Yeah, yeah, which is why it's right, so right. isolated. Right, yeah. Because yeah. it's not on a major yeah. highway. Don't so, worry. No, nobody's rushing over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so th- nobody's going to rush there. Yeah, so there yeah. are just beautiful. Your place is fine. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. But there are buttes and. Right, yeah. yeah. It's just like you can see forever. Yeah. Yeah. The New York Times Magazine uh, just wrote about you. A great article, which I which I read. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, they called you a, f- what did they call you? A, f- a Western feminist? Something like that. Something like that, yeah. yeah. What do you think about that? Um, I mean, I'm from Miami, but sure, I'll... <laughs> um, that was nice. Um, so you just, uh, you just need some cowboy boots and... and I've then, got them. Oh, no, got no them. I don't have actual cowboy boots, but when I made uh, Meek's cutoff, the whole cowboy getup made complete sense to me. I was like, I totally get it. Like, you need some cowboy boots. There's rattlesnakes out here. And the hat makes sense. The whole, the fringe doesn't really make sense, but all the <laughs> the hat and the boots and the je- the heavy jeans because it's everything's prickly out there. The whole uh, cowboy uniform. Uh, I was like, oh yeah, it's like you need you need that you need all that stuff. That makes <laughs> sense. But uh, yeah. 
No, you're right. All right. So that does have some practicality from back in the day. It does. Yeah. yeah it could, all that stuff would still work and still, and the ranchers out there still wearing all that stuff. They and are. so, you know, if it works. So that has good reason. Um, what was that question? Did you ask me what to wear when you go out west? No, um, Western <laughs> feminist. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Kelly. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All yeah. Right. Western feminist. Well, she didn't really talk about that, but we love her anyway. Record says her next project will be an adaptation of a Patrick DeWitt novel. It's called Under Major Domo Minor. The book features a moody teen girl named Lucy, which, of course, sounds like perfect record material. Before we close out this episode, just a couple of things. One, if you like what you heard, tell a friend. Write a review in iTunes and look for us on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter, and we've got a clever handle. It's called Drunk on 35mm, or, of course, just search for The Drunk Projectionist. And we've got a website, too, so you can search for that. All right. Thanks a lot for listening. And don't forget to go see a movie tonight, or very soon indeed. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.